Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report. I'm Diane Rebecca here on WMCK.FM Internet Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at noon, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Podcasts of these shows are available on WMCK.FM slash CRR, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. And if you're a first-time listener, we deal with consumer issues. And uh, so if you have any ideas of any products or services you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. And if you are uh, wanting to comment or have questions on anything you've heard on the show, you can also email me at ConsumerReviewReport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at ConsumerReviewReport and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, so here we are with another week and... Um, Consumer Reports came out with a lot of information this week about cars, so we'll be talking cars again. Uh, I guess we did that uh, a few weeks ago, but we can always revisit that. Um, So we'll be talking, or actually Consumer Report Magazine will be talking about winter tire performance. Um, They'll also be talking about our online no-haggle car services a good deal. And then we'll hear again from Consumer Report magazines about the most important auto safety feature you've never heard of. And also tips for buying a new car. And also tips for buying a used car. So uh, we have audio on all of those subjects. So we will start with winter tire performance and our online no haggle car services a good deal. So let's go ahead and start that. This week, we discuss how stopping distances compare between all season and winter tires no haggle used car dealers, why replacement car keys are so expensive these days, and more next on Talking Cars. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Mike Quincy. I'm Jake Fisher. And I'm Jennifer Stockberger. So great news, Talking Cars fans. This is going to be an all-questions episode, which we love doing. Let's get right into it. We get lots of emails, text questions, video questions. Keep them coming. TalkingCars at iCloud.com. That's TalkingCars at iCloud.com. So first up, it's Tim from Chicago. Where I live, we have on average 28 days with fresh snow a year. I like the idea of winter tires, but CR's ratings on most recommended winter tires show the dry braking only fair and wet braking is poor. Most all-season tires seem to perform better in these tests. Since we only experience snow for about half the days of winter season, am I giving up traction on more days that would benefit me? Tim, thanks for the question. Jen, uh, what advice do you have? 
So um, the first thing that Tim's question points out is that our ratings for tires are universal, meaning they're representing all tires across different types. So when Tim is seeing those fares and pours for braking distances for winter tires, for example, that's true relative to some of maybe the higher performance tires that have very, very short braking distances. So that's the first thing. So it is reflecting the universe, not necessarily just winter tires. So with that said, great, Jake had actually a great idea. I reached out to Gene and Ryan to get some sense of what the magnitude of those differences were. So I asked Gene, and, and I have numbers comparing passenger all-season tires, the mom-and-pop T-rated, H-rated tires, to winter tires of that comparable. And we're looking at, just to give you a sense, dry and wet braking, it's about 30 feet more braking distances with a winter tire than it is with the all-season tires. The converse, snow traction, which is our test of accelerating from 5 to 20 miles per hour on packed snow, it takes about 20 more feet with an all-season tire to gain that traction than it does with the winter tire. And then ice braking is about 6 feet shorter with winter tires. But let me just qualify there. Six feet doesn't sound from a lot. It's only from 10 miles per hour, just pointing out because it's done on an ice rink. So it becomes, those, those magnitudes are certainly enough to be thinking, is this what I want to do as Tim is? But I would say it's less, Tim, about how many days of snow you get, but rather more importantly, do you have to be out in it? If you are a person, and we've said this time, that has a job where you have to drive on snow-covered roads, you cannot beat the benefits of the dedicated winter tire in getting you there. Again, to his point, sacrificing some dry and wet braking, but being aware of it when the roads are cleared. And of course, as we always say, getting those winter tires off when spring comes and, and you're into the warmer and no, no risk for snow months. So hopefully that's helpful. That's, that's a really good point, Jen, especially considering how many of us are working at home these days. Uh, you know, how, what, what kind of job uh, might require you to get out there? And, and I mean, Jake Fisher has uh, a driveway that, you know, makes uh, uh, the, 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 the drive up, up Mount Everest seem, seem tame. So, so you're obviously, Jake, a big fan of, of, of winter and snow tires. Yeah, well, I, I, I have been. Um, I've always had uh, winter tires for my cars um, going back years and years. Um, yeah, I know I, you know, back when I lived in Michigan, I would drive my Toyota MR2 uh, with snow tires and I would be able to get around when, uh, you know, other cars wouldn't. But, you know, it, it re Tim's, Tim's got a great point. And this, what, the one thing I just want to kind of throw in here is that with a lot of us now working at home, and a lot of us really, I mean, I think a lot of workplaces, depending on what you do, are more acceptable of working at a home occasionally. Going forward, it does change the calculus about this. So for instance, I have always had, for my wife's Prius, we have always had winter tires. But right now, she's been working at home. And even in the future, she'll probably be working at home a lot more. So when you start really thinking about the future here, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, will my wife ever drive in the snow again? 
you know, um, you know, the kids, the kids are going to go on buses. Um, but if this, if it's bad weather out because she's so used to working at home and now has the technology to work at home, you know, there may be a lot less cars out in the road. And if you're one of those people who has this opportunity to, you know, and even the schools, I mean, I, I suspect when this, you know, the snow flies, they're just going to flip the switch and they, they know how to do remote learning now. Um, you know, is it that important? So I think you got to take all that into account of, of whether or not you're going to be using them or not. Great question, Tim. Uh, it's going to take us to our next, which is from Susan. And Susan writes, why is it so expensive for replacement car keys? I need a replacement for my Lincoln MKX. And the dealer told me it would cost $400, exclamation point. I asked why and was told the cost was because they had to be programmed by a computer. Is that normal cost these days? So great question, Susan. Um, it's not an easy or inexpensive fix if you lose your car keys these days. Uh, so key fobs can cost actually anywhere between fifty to four hundred dollars. So that number that you were quoted is kind of sort of in the ballpark. Um, and 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 if your car was built in the last five years or so. You're, you're kind of stuck. You're kind of stuck having to go back to the dealer uh, for replacement and pay these high prices. Uh, the, the programming equipment that they use, the dealers, is expensive, and that's kind of where it, where it, you know, where it hits you. Now, the good news is if your car is more than five years old, uh, Consumer Reports' advice uh, is to um, call up a locksmith. You might be able to save a lot of money by getting a an aftermarket key fob, but but keep in mind that some manufacturers and we did a, a big story about this. Uh, Mike Monticello, who's a, a regular contributor to Talking Cars, um, did a great story, and uh, we found out that Audi and Subaru, for example, uh, told us that some aftermarket fobs won't work. So um, it's it's kind of a there's some some good consumer advice here, um, but it's not uh, a slam dunk in that you can always get by with a cheaper fix. And I mean, Jake, we were talking about this question before, and, and you've definitely had some feelings about this. Well, I mean, look, the whole, and the question is, why is it so expensive? And and the truth is, yes, it is expensive. But why is it? And the truth is, it's about profitability. When it comes to aftermarket products, and I should say aftermarket, I should say replacement parts. There's they're profit centers for automobile companies. They, they absolutely are. So like if you need to replace the wheel on your car, a new alloy wheel, it may cost $500 at the dealership. Do you really think it costs $500 to put it on the car for the car company? I mean, this, this might be a $60 wheel that they're not charging you $500 for it. So the markup is incredible. And, you know, just to put that in perspective, $400 for a key fob. I mean, you could buy a really nice Chromebook for $400, right? I mean, we understand <laughs> what technology you could buy for $400. You know, and you think about all the technology that goes into that, it's way more. So, um, yeah, it's, it's overpriced. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, if there's a way you could do something on the aftermarket or go to a locksmith, go for it. But, but yeah, it's, it is overpriced. I, I, I feel you. I mean, Jen, as we've often talked about with, with automotive technology, get making things better and easier. There's, there's sometimes there is a downside to it, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and often it is cost, even, you know, the cost of safety. We talk about that, you know, the, the advantages, but the replacement cost of some new safety features. So yes, that often is the downside. I do think we certainly support the ones where the benefits outweigh that. So, um, I would, I would say, yeah, in this case, the convenience of the fob for many people does outweigh the cost. 
Uh, anyway, uh, check out Mike Monticello's story on consumerreports.org uh, for more information on key fobs. For those that don't know, CR is a nonprofit, and we're able to do all of the work we do, including anonymously buying our test cards and producing this show through memberships to our website and magazine, as well as through donations. What the Talking Cars donation program will do is allow loyal Talking Cars fans to show support for the podcast, assist in supporting the costs of producing the podcast, as well as support all the work CR does to keep consumers safe. You'll be able to contribute either as a one-time donation or on a monthly basis. Even $5 a month really helps. Go to CR.org slash give talking cars to find out more. In any event, we'll keep delivering talking cars each and every week. Again, go to CR.org slash give talking cars to find out more. Uh, next up is we've heard uh, from Luke from Collegeville, Pennsylvania. What is your opinion on used car dealers that don't negotiate, like CarSense, CarMax, etc.? My grandparents are obsessed with them, saying they don't negotiate because they are priced right. Thoughts? So, Jake, um, you've definitely had uh, some opinions about this matter in our meeting, so uh, take it away. Well, it, it depends on who you are. If you're someone who likes to negotiate and you think you can get the best price, then, then go for it. But if you're like, um, like, a lot of people, and, and myself included, and if you don't want to haggle, you just want to get a fair price, I think it's a great option. Um, it's a terrific option because the truth is, is that, you know, if you are this master haggler negotiator and you could go and get the best price, that dealership is going to turn around and just kind of really inflate the price for someone else. It all comes out in the wash. So, um, you know, I think it's a great way. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, Saturn, we were talking about before. I mean, like, you know, years ago, they actually had, you know, just like, this is your price. There's no negotiation. Actually, some other car companies do this too. I mean, if you go to one and buy a Tesla, for instance, right now, there isn't a negotiation there. It's like, this is the price. And generally, people really like that. Um, nobody likes to go to the car dealership. Nobody likes to go and, and buy cars. And part of the reason is, is this, they're, they're trying to nickel and dime you for all these things. So it, it is a good option. I mean, in our car buying service, if you go to consumer reports and you you, you purchase a car through, through us, we've actually switched. There was a time that we said, here's what the dealership is getting is, is paying for it and negotiate from there. Um, but now we go to a pre-negotiated price and say, okay, this is a good deal. Pay this. And from the people who have used that service, that they like that more. Um, and I understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, Jenna, are, are you a real ne negotiator? Are you a real haggler? So, no, I am not. So I joke, you know, one of the things we do at home is we, we like to go to flea markets and antiques. I mean, you can probably see I've got some old stuff back here. And that there's very few things, areas where you still do that haggling and negotiation. Antiques are one of them. But we're usually talking about fifty to a hundred dollars versus maybe hundreds or thousands of dollars for a car. I do not like it. Some people, though, I do, yeah, I agree. Most people don't like it, which is why people like CarMax and CarSense are doing you know a decent business. But there are some people that it's a sport. They absolutely, and you may be one of them, Mike Quincy, that enjoy <laughs> that challenge. I, I, actually, um, so, I'm kind of with you. I I, I don't like. The haggling, but you, you just described my father. Yeah, he enjoys it. Right, exactly. And some of the people we work with, they absolutely enjoy. Um, so take the tips, you know, um, 
you know, do your research. Don't do the monthly payment. Don't spout that out. Try and get your best offer. But I will say too, Jake talked about the, the populations that will end up paying more. Sometimes women are one of those populations where they feel, eh, she's not going to know much. So what they, they lost on your father, they're going to gain back on someone like me. And, and that does happen. Now, do you want to go home and talk to your husband about this? You know, type of thing. So, so if you feel like that's the process, and we've always said, walk out of a dealership, ask for a different person, salesperson, if you're not liking the transaction, all of those tools. But yes, I am not a haggler. I, I think we could almost spend an entire episode talking about <laughs> negotiation. So we do need to move on. So here's one from Jay from New Jersey. I have a 2017 VW GTI and a 2019 Mazda CX-9. Both manufacturers state in their manuals that premium fuel will boost horsepower, but both cars are recommended for regular fuel. Are there any other reasons I might want to use regular besides the cost savings? I've used premium in my GTI for a while and find it runs much smoother when I use premium. So listen, Jake, we've got premium versus regular. You know, let's get ready to rumble. Uh, to tell <laughs> us what, what should people be putting in their cars? Well, it depends on your car. But I mean, for, for this person who um, they, it's not requiring premium and most cars don't require premium, use regular. If you see a benefit... Um, in these cases, you could get a little more horsepower and even an older car that doesn't require premium, you might, it might be smoother. You, you could prevent detonation is the technical term, but, but the point is that it could actually help it. But if there's no benefit that you're seeing from the premium, use regular. Um, if you use regular, are you harming anything? If you use premium and you have no benefit, are you harming anything? Well, let's be clear. You're not going to hurt your your regular car by using premium. You're not going to hurt it, uh, but you're just wasting your money if you're not seeing any benefit. I think it really just comes down to that. Right. But but Jen, we, we know that some manufacturers make it clear. They say premium is required. Right. And then, that you know, that's how we test. When it's required, we use it. I mean, required is required. And obviously, the engine's tuned for that that level octane level of octane but i almost say how much horsepower do you need <laughs> on regular road some of these small you know four cylinder turbo charts there's a lot of horsepower there so um again to jake's point if you're not seeing a substantial benefit with the with the premium just go with the regular yeah. And, and as we often say with, with questions about uh, how do I operate my car, check out your owner's manual. Always read that. And uh, we've always uh, also said when you, when you open up your fuel filler lid, often there is a label inside that says, you know, you know just what, what octane is required. And sometimes it says premium fuel required. And if that's the case, I would put in premium. But I'm with you guys with this. If it doesn't require it, I wouldn't put it in. Uh, next up is Xenia from Portland, Oregon. Do you know why push for park on electronic shifters is a thing now? There are shifters that use all buttons, rotary knobs, traditional PRNDL, or as we say, Prindle, which of course stands for park, reverse, neutral, drive, and low. But shifters in cars from BMW, Volvo, Genesis, etc., always put the park button in a weird, unintuitive spot away from reverse, neutral, and drive buttons. Why? Isn't it potentially dangerous as people new to this design will think the car's in park when it isn't? Is there a benefit to having a button for park at all? 
Now, you know, Jake, we've we've looked at this uh, upside down, sideways, and backwards, and, and especially when it comes to scoring our cars. So, what advice do you have for Zenya? Uh, well, it's not even advice. I we agree. Uh, we right. agree. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the um, you know, this is this is a problematic trend, and we've been seeing for about twenty years. It started with BMW that kind of we we say broke the prindle, you know, and they just basically I think they actually lobbied the government to try to get rules so they didn't have to do it in a certain way, and it's been just like scattershot. We've just seen all these random different ways of doing it. Now the question is, why do they do it? Now we completely agree there's there's issues with it. In fact, we actually re- remove points for some of these shifters in both in the usability of them as well as we found issues with people actually not getting the thing in the park, getting out of the car, and the car's rolling away, which causes a danger. And if they don't automatically have a rollaway prevention, we're taking additional points off in our scoring. So so it is a big issue. Why do they do it? And and we've been kind of scratching our heads about why do you mess these things up you know i mean you have something that works i'm all for developing things and making them better but it didn't really seem initially that they've made them better i will say some are better for a couple of reasons some are better for one you sometimes have a little more room in your cockpit. So we, so if you look at Honda systems, for instance, they're very flat. You've usually got more room to put cup holders and cubbies and bins, where sometimes like that shifter is kind of like, you know, you, you crush your cup or something like that. So there's some conveniences to that. The other issue, which some many of these now, actually because of our scoring have changed, is they will automatically actuate. So for instance, if you forget to put the car into park, or you open up the door or and you were still in drive or in neutral, they'll automatically go to park. And that's harder to do when you have like, like a physical shifter. So that is a kind of an advantage. However, with a physical shifter, you could do that too. You could put the emergency brake on. So there's there's things like that. So so there's kind of a somewhat weak reason that they're actually adding them. I suspect part of it is they, they seem neat. They seem futuristic. I think that's unfortunate. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, some of them aren't as bad as others, and we're continuing to look at them and continue to rate them. Mm-hmm. And and Jen Stockberger, you're one of our many safety gurus here at Consumer Reports. Um, what, you know, why do you think the manufacturers are doing this? Yeah, I think Jake has already touched on too real estate. You know, those electronic versions can take up far less room than a traditional Prindle, and differentiation. We did something a little different. We'll even see it on the same model between different trim lines or different type, you know, that they will go have a, a regular shifter on the lower trim, for example, and the push button on a, on a higher trim. It's as, It seems to be like a, a sense of higher end to have a fancier or a different shifter. And Zenia, to Zenia's point, we are all living with the transition. So we are very used to a traditional shifter. So it's changing. And is that um, a higher learning curve for those of us who are used to driving with the Prindle? Probably. Over the weekend, I drove our our tested uh, Ram 1500 pickup truck, which has a rotary knob, and then I took it back to the track and switched over to our our Sonata Hybrid, which has the push buttons. And one of the things that we do here at Consumer Reports is we're testing all the new technology, all the new cars, and we're going to have more and more experience with these uh, gear selectors as time goes on. But a uh, great question. I especially love the emphasis of why? <laughs> okay. Next up is a uh, is a question um, from Jean Noel. My Honda CRV is a touring model with all the safety features standard. 
However, the model you tested isn't as well equipped. Would any model rate higher because all the safety features are standard and you award points for safety? Okay, back to safety and back to Jen Stockburger. So the short answer, John Noel, is yes. But so when we award points for the safety features that have been proven effective, forward collision warning, automatic emergency braking, uh, blind spot warning, pedestrian detection, um, we are doing that at what we're calling the model level. So in your case, all Honda CRVs are getting those points, regardless of the trim. EX, EXL, Touring, as you mentioned. So the key there is that feature has to be standard equipment across all of those trim lines, but every CRV will get that, whether our test car has that or not. Uh, uh, Jake, you have a, a brief story about a certain Honda, uh, Hyundai Elantra oh, yeah. SE, which kind of you know changed the way we looked at this also. Yeah, well, I mean, at one point we were kind of looking at it as slightly different and we had tested a Hyundai Elantra SE. This was years ago. And at the time, that was the only way you could get stability control. Um, this was when they were kind of optional and they played the same games with the safety equipment uh, at that time. I'm, I'm not just talking about Hyundai. I mean, all the automakers. So, yes, the, the Hyundai Elantra SE wound up as a top pick. And there, I, I'm pretty convinced that many people p purchased Hyundai Elantra non-SEs and wound up buying that based on our, our top pick status. And we know that because when we have our surveys, we see all these people and we knew the trims and they're like, ah, yeah, they didn't get the stability control. And we really took that to heart. And so, so while Honda has made the touring model, had that standard safety equipment, why do you have to get the touring? You know, why why do automakers make you get the leather interior and the big center if in order to get the safety equipment? Because the safety equipment for a lot of people, that's what they want. They don't need the, you know, I mean, we've looked at this before. I mean, sometimes like Mercedes-Benz models, you know, you have to get rear heated and cooled cup holders in order to get a pedestrian detections. I mean, they'll link it that way is just asinine. Um, you know, if you want the safety, you should be able to get that. Safety shouldn't come at the additional cost, especially when you're already spending 25, 30, even more thousands of dollars for this car. All right. So yeah, general advice, get the most safety that you can, which uh, brings us to our final question. We're going to wrap this up with a question uh, from John from Fairfax, Virginia. My wife and I have a 2015 Honda Pilot and a 2008 Acura TL. Our oldest has a learner's permit, and we've been letting him practice his driving skills on both cars so he gets familiar with different vehicle sizes, handling, etc. He's doing a great job and seems to prefer the Acura. We've got others that we'll be driving soon and are thinking of letting the TL become the kid car, which means I'll need a new daily driver. I may be a middle-aged suburban dad, but I'd still like a little flair when I drive. Another exclamation point. Right now, I'm thinking about the Mazda 6, but wanted to know if you had any suggestions. All right, so we're in this the, the quick answer uh, section of this podcast, uh, Suburban Cool dad, uh, Jen, what, uh, what, what do you think that um, John should drive? Right. So, so it struck me, too, as we were looking that Mike Quincy, myself, and Jake Fisher all have 16-year-olds. So we're, we're hearing you, John. We're all in it with you right now deciding what's the safest vehicles for these kids. So one, the TL is a good choice for them. You know, Jake mentioned stability control. That 2008 TL 
actually had standard stability control way ahead of when it was mandated. So, so good choice there. The Mazda 6, it absolutely stands out among midsize sedans for, and I quote consumer reports, it's driving exuberance. It sets itself apart in terms of what you're saying, a little more flair, a little more agility. So good choice there among that group. What I did say is if you wanted to stretch the pocketbook a little bit, and maybe John, after raising some teenagers, you deserve it, that <laughs> maybe an Audi A4, even used 2017 or later Audi A4, so not really old, would be kind of a, a gift to yourself, certainly steps it up in terms of agility, still a rear seat that some grown children can get into. So that was my only thought. But if, if you're sticking with that midsize sedan, the, uh, the uh, Mazda 6 is a great choice. Jake? I'm going to go the other way. And I'm going to say, you know, if you've got a, your kids are growing up, maybe you don't need that much room. And if you go one size sl smaller, those vehicles over the last several years have gotten a lot bigger. So if you look at things like a uh, Volkswagen GTI or a, uh, a Honda Civic Sport or even a Mazda 3, these vehicles are pretty substantial roomy, comfortable vehicles that are really sporty. You could get them with stick shifts and they are, I mean, become really sports cars. Um, and when you go one size smaller, check all the boxes, get the leather, get all the, the get all the options you want, the sunroof, everything. Um, and it, they kind of feel more substantial and they're, they're comfortable and, uh, you know, probably will suit, suit you pretty well. Excellent. I, I actually like both your, your choices. However, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going with the Camry XSE. Now, a lot of people think Camry, they think boring, but trim line in this case really matters. The XSE has a, has a, a, a stiffer suspension. It has sportier tires, um, a great fuel economy. I'd go with the front wheel drive model. I would go with the four cylinder. Uh, and you, you really, you can't beat uh, Camry's reliability, a great reliability history, a uh, long list of standard safety features. Um, don't laugh. The Camry, in, especially in the XSC model, it's a driver's car. It really has meaty steering. It has good handling. Um, uh, don't kid yourself. It's really, really good. So, um, so that kind of gives uh, John a few vehicles to choose from. And unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, always check the show notes for more information on the vehicles and topics that we discussed. These all question episodes are super fun. We love doing them. Uh, so keep the questions coming. Talking cars at iCloud.com. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Okay. So that was a uh, YouTube video posted by Consumer Reports uh, Car Talk. It's Car Talk number 276 uh, regarding winter tire performance and our online no haggle car services a good deal. You can find that on YouTube and any information regarding that. Uh, I found it interesting about when they talked about the cars that if you wanted a safety feature, at, but you had to get some useless items, uh, features to get the safety, it kind of reminded me of politics and how they pass laws, you know. They pass the law, 
but they stuff a whole bunch of useless stuff in there to pass along with it. And so I guess uh, car dealers do pretty much the same thing. I thought that was pretty funny. All right, so the next uh, audio is from a video also posted by Consumer Reports Magazine. It's called The Most Important Auto Safety Feature You've Never Heard Of. And so let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Okay, so it looks like we are having a little bit of difficulty here with our sound. What's pack. crazy oh, is there's cutting edge and important technology, yet no one seems to know much about it. And it could be the next big thing in the automotive safety industry. We spent a lot of time at Consumer Reports testing the latest automotive technology. Everything from automated driving systems to the latest in safety technology. But there's one system that you probably have never heard of that both auto manufacturers and regulators have been really slow to adopt. But it could start saving lives immediately. Have you ever heard of V2X? Let me explain. It's known as V2X, or Vehicle to Everything Communication. And it can enable something like a bus, an ambulance, and even your family car to communicate with each other. It can also share information with the city's infrastructure about road conditions, traffic information, and much, much more. V2X can get you where you wanna go, on time, and potentially save someone's life. And the thing is, this is not a brand new technology that's just been developed. A number of places have already implemented this to help cities run safely and more efficiently. A perfect example is my hometown of Salt Lake City, Utah. The Utah Department of Transportation is primarily focused on safety. Safety is important to us. Uh, we have a goal of, of zero crashes, zero uh, injuries, zero fatalities. UDOT has been involved with conversations about and planning for connected vehicle infrastructure for probably 15 years. In 2014, uh, we felt like there were a number of places around the country that had started to experiment with DSRC radios. We decided it was time for us to stop just talking about it and get our hands dirty. We ended up deploying DSRC on 24 of 30 intersections on Redwood Road. Redwood Road is a north-south arterial just west of downtown Salt Lake. Um, it's a very long, straight arterial corridor. We took an 11-mile section and outfitted 24 of those intersections with DSRC radios. And then we outfitted some UTA buses. The way this corridor works is, as the bus travels down the corridor, it knows whether it's on schedule or not. If it's behind schedule by five minutes or more, it then can request priority of the signal. It sends a message through the DSRC radios and says to the traffic signal, I'm behind schedule, can you adjust your signal timing to give me green to get me through? What we've discovered through the analysis of the data on that system is that we're improving the schedule reliability of the buses that are equipped by 6% during the morning and afternoon peaks. Getting people where they want to go on time is definitely important, but we're really focused on safety. Anyone who's been to Utah in the winter can attest the snow is no joke and can make very hazardous driving conditions. But V2X has proven itself in that case too. 
This past winter, we equipped 47 of our snow plows that plow those sections of our roadways. When the plow slows down or stops, it's obviously not throwing snow effectively. So keeping it moving is, is a more effective way of removing snow and ice from the road. There is some research out there that tells us that if you can remove the snow and ice from the road a little sooner, you can prevent snow and ice related crashes. And so that's our goal here. VTA-X can also help in more serious circumstances. Imagine, there's two cars equipped with this technology and they're involved in a crash. The cars themselves are able to alert authorities immediately. They won't have to wait for anyone else to call for help. And for police and fire trucks headed to the scene, all traffic lights could instantly turn green without any human intervention. VTA-X working in this way could save precious minutes in an emergency. VTA-X could even alert your car to an accident before you even see it. And it's not just Salt Lake City. Columbus, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and many more are rolling out similar technologies. So after hearing how capable this technology is, you might be wondering, why isn't it in the car that's sitting in my driveway? What are the car manufacturers waiting for? Well, the answer has been playing out for years, and it's the automotive industry equivalent of the VHS Betamax format competition back in the 80s. There are two technologies that can enable V2X. DSRC, which is Dedicated Short Range Communication, it's the technology they're using in Salt Lake City. It acts like a walkie-talkie and can communicate with lots of other radios within a small area. Then we have cellular, which is analogous to how your cell phone works. It can relay messages over much longer distances, but can only talk to one radio at a time. So now the auto manufacturers are stuck between two dueling forms of V2X, and neither have really gained overwhelming support in the industry. And this is why companies are hesitant to implement either one or the other. And this is exactly why your car doesn't have this technology. And there's one other problem. The cellular technology? We're really only in the beginning stages of testing its viability. All the talk about its capabilities at this point is only theoretical. V2X using 3G and 4G has begun testing in the real world, and 5G is still being developed. We at CR understand that the federal government has been sending automakers mixed signals and has taken far too long to finish its research on V2X technology. But there's a version of V2X that's here now, and we know it works. There's a real urgency to figuring out this problem, and fast. The FCC is planning to take away the spectrum reserved for cars to talk to one another and give it away for things like household Wi-Fi that have nothing to do with safety. If we lose this portion of the spectrum, V2X becomes much less capable as a safety tool in the foreseeable future. It'll have limited abilities and most of the practical applications may be lost. Systems like the one found in Salt Lake City would require significant overhaul to utilize a smaller fraction of the remaining spectrum. This may ultimately limit the full potential of the safety technology. There's also the possibility of manufacturers charging a fee for your safety. Imagine having to pay a monthly subscription to keep your safety gear working. The prospect of losing V2X technology is incredibly concerning. And so CR has been fighting. We've been pushing the FCC to reserve this spectrum for transportation safety. And we've also been pushing automakers to make sure that they roll out this technology as quickly as possible. We want to avoid one manufacturer adopting a different system than another. Toyotas need to be able to talk to Toyotas, but they also need to be able to talk to all of the other car brands. In fact, the auto industry has pledged to install 5 million pieces of V2X equipment on vehicles and roadway infrastructure over the next five years, but only if the FCC preserves the spectrum. 
you want to take action to help stop the FCC from giving away the airwaves necessary for V2X, contact your members of Congress, your representative, and your two senators. Tell them to urge the president and his staff to let this plan go no further. They're the ones in the best position to put a stop to this at this point. V2X has the potential to make our roads safer and save countless lives, and the time to act is now. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. I I didn't uh, I didn't think about you know having the, that type of technology. I guess to turn the lights on and off, you know the uh, stop lights on and off for ambulances. I mean, I guess they do that now because I've noticed like if the ambulance comes through, the light can turn green, you know, and stuff like that. So that's pretty interesting um, that they can incorporate something like that. All right, so let's go ahead and get some tips for buying a used car and a new car. So let's go ahead and start that. For some reason, these have been uh, on a delay. They de when I push start, they don't start for like 10 seconds. So there's always some kind of pause going on. And I always think there's something wrong. So I get on and say, oh, we're having some technical problems. And then all of a sudden it starts playing. So let's see what this does. I've just played, I just pushed play about 10 seconds ago and I'm still not hearing anything. So I don't know what's going on with all this. Um, so let me go ahead and stop it and try the other one. Um, it's crazy. Okay, here we go. Once upon a time, there was a TV host named Jack Rico and he wanted to pick out the perfect car from three very different choices. Hey Keith, I really appreciate you coming with me today to buy a used Hmm. This car's too big. This car's too blue. And this one's just right. Jack wanted the shiny red one as soon as he laid eyes on it. But then, Consumer Reports' Kelly Funkhauser magically appeared. Kelly! What are you doing here? I'm actually testing this car. Well, this car's super fun. I think it's just right for me. I'm gonna give it a spin if I can only find the key somewhere around here. Looking for these? Yes! Not so fast. Why? You can test drive this car without actually driving. But wait a minute, Kelly. That doesn't make any sense. Well, there's a lot of things to consider before you even get on the road. So where do I start, Kelly? Well, Jack, you already did. Huh? How was it getting into this car? Uh, it was a bit difficult. I was struggling to get in. Yeah, it sits a little low to the ground and is a small car. Mm -hmm. So getting in is something to consider when you're buying a car. Absolutely. Remember, you're going to be doing this every day, sometimes multiple times a day. You want to make sure that's something that's easy to do. And what's next? Well, you want to make sure you're comfortable in that driver's seat. Okay. So find those controls on the side, make adjustments. Hold on a second. <laughs> next, you'll want to check that you're actually sitting about 10 inches away from the steering wheel. Okay. You can adjust the steering wheel too. There's an adjuster on the side of the column there. Next, you'll want to check the visibility around your car. Okay. Take a look in those mirrors. Check those blind spots. Okay. Oh. It is a little hard to see out with the top on this convertible. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next after that? Next, you'll want to see if you can hook up your phone. Okay. Some cars aren't compatible with your phone. Good point. After that, you'll want to see all of these controls that are right here and make sure you can reach them, understand what they all mean, and use them on the fly. 
Some cars, you have to reach quite a ways to reach that touch screen, and a lot of them get washed out in the sunlight, too. Good point, Kelly. You know, it's very important for me to use the infotainment system. I use it so much. But we do want to make sure that it doesn't become too distracting. You know what, Kelly? I don't know if this is the car for me. We've got two other cars. Should we try one of those? All right, let's go. Let's go. The sports car was too small for Jack, so he tried something much bigger. I was getting into this car, Jack. Well, it was definitely much easier than the other one, but I felt like I had to climb up to this one. This one sits a whole lot taller, but now you can see more of the road. That is true. All right, let's get comfortable. Okay. All right. Hey, does this seatbelt fit right, right here? Interesting you ask that, Jack. You actually can't adjust the height of this seatbelt. It looks like it actually fits you pretty well in this car, but something you'll want to consider for people who aren't as tall as you. Mm. So next is visibility, right? That's right. We want to make sure you can see all around your car. Take a look in those mirrors. Oh, these mirrors are huge. They really are. You can see a lot. What about your blind spots? Um, it's a little hard to see. Especially in a car this big, you want to make sure that you can see all the way around the car. Next, we're going to hook up your phone and use the infotainment system. Okay. Can you reach that screen? Um, it's a little too far away. It's a pretty long reach. In addition, the controls to adjust the audio and your climate system are pretty far to reach as well. Yeah, you're right. You definitely don't want to get out of driving position to adjust the temperature. Car number two was too big for Jack, so Kelly showed him one more. I was getting into this car, Jack. This was pretty easy. Excellent. Now let's make sure you're comfortable in that driver's seat. How does it feel? I like the way this seat feels. Yeah, this one's chair height, so it makes getting in and out of it every day a whole lot easier. Yeah. Next up, visibility. Take a look around. What do you see? Everything. What about those blind spots? Well, it's better than the last two cars, and if I'm out on the road, it's probably easy to merge, too. I agree. What do you think of the design of this infotainment system? Yeah, pretty straightforward, and I can even reach the knobs. Definitely a plus, and it's less distracting. One more thing to check out is the gear selector. Each one of the cars we sat in has a different style, and they're not always easy to understand at first. For example, on some newer electronic shifters, pushing the handle all the way forward may put you into reverse instead of park, and the park position may be located on a separate button. This car's shifter has clearly labeled positions that follow the Prindle layout, and that's common in many vehicles. Now, Jack, imagine if you had bought this car without looking for all of these important things. Mm. There's a lot that you should look for before taking the car on the road. You don't want to regret your purchase. Here's Kelly's top five tips for testing a car without driving. Access. Make sure it's easy for you to get in and out of the car. Comfort. Can you get comfy in the seat and adjust it properly? Visibility. Look around and make sure you can see out over the hood and that blind spots aren't too obtrusive. Controls. Simple is better. Make sure you can easily manipulate climate, audio, etc. Phone compatibility. Is your phone compatible and is there a safe place to store it while you're driving? I think this is the perfect car. <laughs> Jack, slow down. You haven't even taken it for a drive yet. All right, let's take it for a drive. Okay. Um, where are the keys? I thought you had the keys. No, you gave them. Wait, hold where on a are the keys? Where, where are the keys? I, didn't you have them before? I, I could have.
All right, we'll try one more piece of audio. And if we can't get that to work, we'll go ahead with a scam update. So let's try this. Once upon a time, there was a TV host named Jack Rico, and he wanted to pick out the perfect car from three very different choices. Hmm. This car's too big. Okay, so I think I already played that one. Let's try the other one. Oh, no problem. There we go. I buy some of the cars for Consumer Reports testing program. Huh. Yeah, so I've, I've done this a few times. I'm, I'm really glad to help. Oh, by the way, like you said, I wrote down all my questions right before I got here. Good, 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 because the, the whole process, you know, you can get lost, and it really helps to write down every question you have ahead of time so you don't forget anything. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. great. Oh, jeez. Oh, look wow, this. look at this one. Well, fine, let me know when you are ready to buy a car. He looks angry. <laughs> hey, hey, Barry's the name. Good to meet you. It looked good in a car like this. What, what did you say your name was again? Uh, I'm Jack. Jeff, Jeff, nice to meet you. Let's talk finances. What do you think you can afford on this? Jack, 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 no, don't. Don't tell him how much money you can spend because then he's gonna want you to spend every penny of it. Good point. Thanks a lot, Keith. Definitely. All right, all right. Don't focus on the price so much. Wait a minute, is that cashmere? I used to have a cashmere uh, sweater just like that, but it got a, a red dot on it and I couldn't return it or wash it out. It was a, what kind of bird is that? It, it looks like it's playing with the, the, the wavy guy over there. You like the guy, he's waving all over the place. He's great, it's wonderful. Uh, was there a question somewhere in there? Jack, you have to stay on topic. Don't let him control the conversation because then he can kind of fast talk you into a deal that you don't necessarily want. That's why you have those questions. So make sure your head's in the game. There's a lot of money at stake here. Thanks a lot, Keith. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if this car is right for me, but the one I am interested in is that one over there. Yeah, let's go take a look at this car. Okay, suit yourself. Suit this guy yourself. looked really familiar, okay, didn't okay. he? Yeah. I can't place it. Now this, this is good, yeah. Yeah, you know SUVs like this are very popular because they give you a good view of the road. And also, the fuel economy is pretty good considering the size of the vehicle. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. Oh, this guy again. Jerry, here you are. I see you're looking at the blue car. It's got that blue car smell. <laughs> There are so many people who want this car, you're gonna have to move on it today, because otherwise it will be gone. I mean, this car's not gonna sit here for its birthday, you get me? So let's get back in there and sign some paperwork and we can make sure that you don't lose out on this great deal I'm gonna get you. Now, he's trying to rush you, and this is a lot of money you're spending here, so take your time and only do what you feel comfortable with. You're in control of this purchase, remember that. You're right, Keith. Um, is it okay if I check out the car a little bit? All right, all right, suit yourself, but time is a waste in here, okay? Now, there are a lot of things that you need to check on a used car in order to find out whether or not it's in really good condition. So are you ready? I'm ready. Check the outside of the car for dents, chipped paint, or mismatched body panels. All of those things could be evidence of a previous crash. Look to make sure the interior is in good shape. No sagging headliner, cracked dashboard, or well-worn driver's seat. Those all could be evidence of excessive mileage, wear and tear, or abuse. Take a whiff while you're inside, too. A mildew smell could mean the car has once been flooded. Pop the hood. Make sure there's no obvious oil spillage around the engine, and that you don't see any evidence of leaks or worn parts. Also, be sure to take it for a test drive and bring it to a mechanic you trust to check it out and make sure there are no hidden issues. So Jack, what do you think about the car? You know what? Everything checked out. I think I like this car. I think this is the one for me. Ah, now it's time to negotiate. 
So you've already done your research, which is great. You know how much this car's worth in this condition with this many miles. So start with what you're willing to pay and then tell him a number that's uh, just a little lower than that and be confident. Right. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm really interested in this car. I'm willing to pay $16,000 for this. $60,000. You want me to send your kids to college too? This car isn't leaving the lot for anything less than $22,500. $16,000. Good luck. Now, Jack, as much as you like this car, sometimes this happens. And you have to be prepared to walk away if you just can't get a good deal. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'm going to be looking somewhere else. Wait, wait, don't be too hasty. Come on. Maybe we can work something out. Uh, let's just come over to my office. Let's, let's figure something out. All right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> All right, 16,000, carry the two, divide by six times, minus the tax title registration fees. All right, you can have it for 16,000. You're killing me here, you're killing me. But you know what, let's talk turkey. I can get you some really great rates on a loan. So do you want to do 48 months, 72, 96? Actually, I took my friend Keith's advice and I secured a loan before I showed up. So, I'm all set. Okay, he's all set. He's already got a loan. Great. Well, have you thought about how you're going to protect the car? Because you're definitely going to need an extended warranty. You're going to need some VIN etching in the car in order to make sure that it doesn't get stolen. We can put in an extra alarm system. We can put on also some rust proofing as well. You're going to need that true coat as well. Jack, so many of those add-ons a dealer tries to sell you are unnecessary. They're pure profit for the dealership and they end up costing you money. So my advice is to just skip them. I'll skip those, please. I think you'll be sorry. I think you'll be fine. Fine! <laughs> to the paperwork. Keith, I really want to thank you again. You were a tremendous help today. Well, buying a car can be really, really stressful, but you did great. You planned out everything ahead of time, then you stuck to the plan, and you negotiated a great price on a car that I think you're gonna love for thousands of miles. So, good job to you, too. Oh, great. Jeremy, you're looking great in this car. I told you the blue was your color. Johnny, why did you even bring this extremely handsome guy with silly-looking glasses? Seriously. You can't even remember his name. Jimmy, come on. Jack, let's go, come on. I'm tired of this guy. I never want to see him again. So I apologize for all the sound pad bloopers, um, but hopefully you got some good information out of the audio anyways. And uh, so that will conclude, um, that'll conclude our show. And so this is the Consumer Review Report on WMCK.FM, a service of Tube City Online. Tube City Community Media Inc. heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at noon, and Thursday at 9 a.m. So if you have any questions on anything that you've heard here on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. 
I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. And also, if you have any good ideas on any products or services, you can also email me at ConsumerReviewReport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at ConsumerReviewReport and Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. I'm Diane Rebecca wishing everyone a safe and good week.